0: What I want to do this morning in the scripture is to um, walk through some of the recap of what we've looked at in the book of Joshua, but also uh, there are some themes there or some stories that I didn't feel like I wanted to spend a whole Sunday on, and I'll catch some of those along the way. just wanted to look at some of that before we go on. Uh, in Joshua chapter 1, then as we walk through that the establishment of Joshua is taking place, and there was a phrase repeated in there numerous times in that first chapter, be strong and courageous. It's a phrase that had been also used in Deuteronomy. Moses had challenged Joshua with it, and it was something that is brought to him again by the Lord, and it's an intriguing verse to me because in some ways, Joshua was a man who had already been prepared for a significant season, he was a family leader. You remember when the twelve tribes each appointed a, a family leader to go in and spy out the land? He was one of the men chosen. In one of their early battles in that first year, he was the one that led the army into the the campaign. He had been Moses's assistant for roughly that forty-year period of time. He had been in. The tabernacle with the presence of the Lord, it said he stayed there. Moses would leave, Joshua would stay. He was up on the mountain with with Moses. You know, he had had numerous experiences of leadership. And then God tells him, I'm going to establish you now. Because it's time for him to take Moses' place. And several things happen. There's this declaration, be strong and courageous. You think, well, he's already shown himself. No. This is vital to his leadership. It's vital to leadership, period. We look at that and we're going, well, strength, it, it, obviously, it's not a physical thing that he's being called to. So, what is, what is that? Strength of character, strength of mind. Um, you, can, you can be considering that. But I'd like to, to suggest to you that in our vernacular, we talk about living lives of faith. We talk about, you know, trusting faithful God so that you respond in faith in a situation. And I think that in a sense, this being strong and courageous is a similar call. He's being told, you need to be aware that when you encounter situations that require decision-making, you need to, to take this step and trust God in these situations. The contrast to that is shown in these verses. It says, don't be discouraged, don't be dismayed. Don't be fearful. Don't be frightened. So, if you look at it and say the the contrast to this strength and courage is that of of being uh, fearful or dismayed or discouraged, we'd have to look at it and say, well, there are numerous times when we kind of slip into such things. Joshua's being told in leadership do not give in to these things. Do not give in to discouragement. Do not give in to fear. Don't let those things control your lives. If you take that then and and go, okay, what about me? What areas am I I exhibiting fear? What areas do I let fear control me? What areas do I let discouragement take over? The contrast is something that we need to keep in mind. The other thing, I know I skipped the slide already, but the other thing he was told is keep the law of the Lord in your heart and mind all your life. Keep this in front of you. Keep this, in other words, if you want to walk in the favor of the Lord, you're going to have to do it according to his guidelines. And so the same applies to our own lives today. You want the favor of God upon you and what you're doing, you're going to have to listen to his voice, you're going to have to respond to his word, you're going to have to walk according to his rules. But that's the setup for great leadership in Joshua's case. The next thing that happens is they, they cross the, the Jordan, God tells Joshua, your leadership's going to be exalted in this event. You're going to be established through it. And it's intriguing to me that God tells them to cross at flood stage. They could have waited a few weeks and crossed it without trouble. God chooses flood stage to say, I want this done now. All he had to do was to just put it on and say, well, we'll obey the Lord, but we'll obey him, you know. That would not have been strength and courage. But also in in that, it's like real life situations give opportunity for real faith. It's not as if you pretend and pretend, you know, that I've got faith, I've got faith, I've got faith, you know. And then, then the crisis comes and it's, Oh God, where are you? But it's like real life situations, real crises give opportunity for real faith to be exerted. And sometimes God calls us to things that even a few weeks later would be vastly different, but he says, I want this now. And we have the option of being obedient or not. Incredible to to look at that and just say, we need to respond when he calls and the, the summation of that as they cross is that Joshua's leadership is exalted because, hey, look, we were here. Who would have thunk that the river would have stopped? And yet in that moment, there's this recognition, God has intervened for us. That was a powerful message to friend and foe. The enemies of God looked at it and went, we don't have that kind of power. Real-life situation, real-life opportunity for victory. In that moment when they were crossing, uh, another thing I'd like to just note is that they were told, take a stone out of the river, place it on, on the bank, and let's recognize this as something God has done. So every time that you and your children pass by, there's this memory marker, so to speak. And I want to encourage you again Write down in some kind of journal answered prayer. When, when something happens that you know that God has answered one of your prayers, write it down. When you hear a word from the Lord in, in regard to the prophetic or, uh, you know, this, this is going to take place in your life, write it down. It's so easy to forget these things. I've been grateful over the years, has kept a record. Not all the time, but a good share of the time, she's just kept track of answered prayers and, and words that have been spoken over our family. And, you know, we'll be going, what was said? You know, do you remember the details of that? We'll be, we're able to go back and take a look. And it's powerful to have those memories and to pass those on and say, this is what transpired. And I just encourage you make memory markers along the way. Um, The next thing, and we didn't spend long on this, I'm sure you understand why, they crossed the river and then they participated in circumcision. Uh, It's not a wonderful passage just to dwell on, but what I, I want you to note is that there is a separation that needs to take place in your life once you commit to Christ. And they, they, in a sense, that baptism was representative of this new life in the Lord. And when you come to Christ, there's changes that have to be made. And this is, in a sense, a, a very a visible uh, picture of what, what our own lives look like when we come to the Lord and say, okay, I'm yours. And certain things have to stop. And you have to shed certain aspects of life and just say, Because I am God's, this is the way that I'm going to live. In that same season, they cross the Jordan River, they celebrate the Passover, and the manna stops. Forty years, they've been relying on the Lord for food every day. They go out, they gather it. Now they have to eat off the produce of the land. It's like, when you grow up, you have to recognize that part of the job is getting your own food. Part of growing up is going out and getting the food yourself. I was—it uh, was intriguing me to watch these different families while we were camping, and the kids uh, take a lot of attention. And you know, the parent can be making the, the food and cutting it up and getting all coded right, and the kids going, "Nah, I want something else. This is all we have." I, you know, and this interaction. It's very important for us to realize that in Christ, you know, He nurtures us, He cares for us, but He also expects us to step forward and start growing up. And there are seasons when you will say, I've had this and it's just been wondrous and it's awesome and then suddenly it's over. You know, where did that go? Well, grow up. It's time to move on and to, to learn other systems and develop in the next season of life. You know, in this, they had to keep advancing. They had to keep taking on battles or starve to death. And and so he he allowed them to be in this situation. He says, There's a land, it's got all kinds of goodness, but now you're going to have to go take it. You have to participate. Uh, One of the things that I look at, even in the New Testament, that I've been wrestling through some of this theology because. There's a heavy emphasis in our groups on being a child of God and, and the, that the Father tells the Son what He's doing. And so there's this privilege that we have in the Lord of, of viewing ourselves as children. But just even stronger in the New Testament is the imagery of being a servant. And you know, we, we carry both. And there's the recognition that both those pictures are important to us. But one of the things I want to encourage you with is that if you take just the child mentality, you can slip into a thing of, I just want Jesus to do everything for me. And I don't want to do anything myself because I'm relatively lazy and I enjoy that. Whereas if you carry both pictures, you recognize I'm also a servant of the Most High. In other words, I am attempting to come into his presence. I'm not just saying, Jesus, bless everything that I do, but I'm rather saying, I want to serve you. I recognize you as the center of my universe. There's an important picture um, in the fifth chapter of Joshua when, when Joshua sees a man, a soldier, armed, sword out, and he goes up to him and he says, Whose side do you on? Ours or are, are theirs? And the soldier says, Neither, I'm commander of the army of the Lord. Joshua falls down on his face and he begins to worship. Him and the guy says, Take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. And there's this recognition that it isn't about our battle or their battle, it's about God's battle. It's about finding his plans out, understanding his ways. You know, where we can get caught up into our own thing, even our own ministry battles, so to speak, our own, what we want to see done, yet it's very important to realize there is a higher agenda in all things. I, uh, I, I feel like in some ways it's like when I've been coming to the Lord in prayer, uh, regularly I've been bringing my things, so to speak, and God's going, well, great, but do you want to listen to what I have? You know? It's really not so polite the way he talks in that sense. Uh, It's like, get off your high horse and listen to what I have to say. There are times when it's straightening us out and just saying, you have a wrong priority here. It's not all about you. The Lord's saying, it's about me. (laughs) He's the center of the universe. He's the center of all things. He's this awesome, awesome being. It's our privilege to participate and to be called his children. You know? And so there's this honor still that needs to go to him. And, and we must never step very far from that kind of thing, that awareness. So Joshua, you know, he's, he's leading the troops of the Lord into battle. He, he's got this awesome leadership established. And he walks over, and, and obviously he's bold enough to go up to that guy and say, whose side you on? You looking for a fight, or you're one of us? And the Lord's commander says, you don't get it. I'm commander of the Lord's army, and he recognizes the authority that's over him in that moment. It's important that we recognize we are children of God, but we are also servants of the Most High. When we say Lord Jesus Christ, Lord is our authority figure, Right? Over six hundred times, you see just that term, Lord. Why? Because He is the ruler of all things, and it's our privilege to participate in that. Uh, on to Jericho, sixth chapter. They they march around s- six days in a row, and they have to keep their mouths shut. You know, the priests are going, the trumpets are blaring, and, and there's a time just to shut up, you know, and to just keep your mouth shut in March. And, and that's what they experienced in the first six days. And I'm assuming that there could have been a lot of thinking inside, like, this is repetitive. Why would we be doing this? Yeah, I know we crossed the river, but we're just going to march around the city. Oh, great. And then the next, you know, the, the seventh day, they go around seven times. So, I mean, even this march around didn't take all day. But the seventh day, it is seven times. And then there is a time to shout. And it, it strikes me, there, the first victory, the first major victory that way is, a, is verbal, so to speak. There's some significance in that. There, there's something awesome connected with that where it, It's a declaration, you know, in in obedience unto the Lord, and and the shout goes forth and the walls fall. I I just look at that and I'm going, he didn't ask them to pull off their swords till later. You know, it wasn't their strength and all of this that that brought that about. It was God just showing himself mighty as they made this declaration. Something very wonderful about that, Uh, you know, the... The ark going in front of them. The, the trumpets of the Lord blasting away. You know, this, this recognition, this is God's battle and we are participating. And then this shout and the walls fall. It, there's just, you know, I, I, I read, I'm fascinated by these stories even yet. read them numerous times and yet there are nuggets there to, to be had for all of us. Even in that story, at the end, Joshua calls out a curse over the city and says, "You know, a curse would be the one that reestablishes this place." Five hundred years later, it's fulfilled. I, uh, blessing and curses, you know, and declarations made that way. I. I got hints of how it works. You know, I I see things that connected to it. But how often do we think in terms of 500 years? I I just don't. And yet I see that taking place in Scripture, and I see it being fulfilled. There's a certain awe that says, we are part of something very extensive. And when we think in just terms of 5, 10, 50, 60 years, that's way too small. What if you thought that some of the things that you are establishing now might be good for 500 years? You're, oh no, the world's going to end before then. <laughs> A lot of people have said that. You know, we, we, we feel like that. Yeah, yeah you can see I'm just saying, better to invest with the view of long-term, even if it does end shorter. Better to look and just say, some of these deeds of righteousness will go on for a very long time. Some of the things of destruction will last equally as long. We've got to be aware and live in that larger picture. And the battle of Ai, moving on, chapter seven. They had had several victories already. So they had crossed the Jordan at flood stage, they'd conquered Jericho. Ai's a relatively little city, and and there's a, a confidence that's just brimming about their lives, we can do this, no problem. And then they suffer defeat. And, you know, it's, it's not as if you can just say, well, I've got this history and things work. And, but they, they fail to inquire the Lord and they have stepped into sin. And it says they have a battle and, and 36 men die and they're, they're distraught over it. And they, they go to the Lord and, and uh, Joshua tears his clothes He's on the earth, face down. They've thrown dust on their heads. All the things that can signify humility and sorrow and anguish, they're all about that. They're grieving over this, and they're going, to, why? You know, Joshua's crying out, why did this happen, God? And he's informing God of the implications. Our enemies see this defeat, and do you realize we're going to get wiped out? He's, it's, a, it's a natural understanding. And it's, a, it's in some settings appropriate to grieve this way. But in this case, it's misplaced anguish. This crying out to God and this humiliation of themselves. God tells them, stand up. There's sin here. Deal with the sin. And I wonder how many times in our own lives when things begin to fall apart, we we humble ourselves and we cry and, and we, why? And what we're failing to really do is just acknowledge the sin for what it is and deal with the issues that God's asked us to deal with before we move on. There is this potential in us to just Ignore the situation and then whine to the Lord and say, How does your faithfulness possibly show here? When really what needs to be done is to face what we know to do, take that on, and allow God then to do what He does. Now, at least Joshua is crying out and saying, What about your name? You're known as faithful. You're known as the God who provides for us. Don't you want your name to go on? You know, and I've used that lever with the Lord too. I've used that to try to leverage my situation. Let me remind you who you are, God. Let me let me build up my own encouragement over reminding myself. Who, there are times just to take on the sin, deal with it, and get on with life. And he's told, "Stand up." It's a, it's something that we have to, to look at and just deal with. They, they, take Achan, the man that's guilty of the thievery. They stone he and his family. They build this mound. Again, that's part of their culture to, to build mounds of rock and throw a stone on it when they walk by and say, don't let that sin be a part of us. You know, So it, it was part of who they were as a people, these memories of good and bad. But what I want you to note is that when I read that regarding Achan, I've often mentioned, isn't that awful harsh? You know, we'll forget the 36 that died because of him, but we'll remember the family and the kids and there's this challenge that comes into our thinking and and wondering but I want you to note that Aiken's sin had community effect and we have to be very aware that when we're living in an individualistic society and we're saying what I do doesn't affect anyone else that that is a lie I used this illustration last week. You spend all night surfing the internet, cruising porn sites. You come in on a Sunday morning. I don't really anticipate that you're going to be much good in praying for others. Just my thought. Okay? You spend all week long living like an idiot and you want to come in on Sunday morning and, and walk in victory. It just doesn't happen. Now, those are seasons where you might experience the grace of God and His mercy, and you might be ministered to mightily and find out He truly does forgive. But there's there's an understanding that we need to come to terms with that our behavior, our attitudes, our character truly does affect others. And, And we need to respond to such things. Let's take this a step further. Connected with this stealing from the Lord, like Achan did. The very first sin, what was it? Adam and Eve, wasn't it stealing from the Lord? Did it have a potency about it? Well, it brought death to all of us. I guess there was some community impact, even though there would only been two at that time. So that's a. <laughs> It's powerful. What, what about the first murder? It was connected to a sacrifice event, right? Adam and his son Cain makes a sacrifice. God tells him, if you do what is right, won't it be accepted? So he knew what he needed to do, but he didn't do it. He gets angry at his brother that does right and kills him. Again, that, that's a significant impact community-wise. But it's also connected with this greed that takes what is of God's. I mean, Adam and Eve, they're only, they were only held back one thing. God says, that tree's for me. Don't touch that one. And I put it in the middle of the garden, but <laughs> they had to look at it. But it, he only withheld one thing. He says, don't touch that. These are powerful things. Jericho was their first victory, and I said, I want all of the goods brought to me. Aiken says, yeah, but this is really good stuff. It had community impact, that thievery. Prophet Haggai writes his little book, and he says, you know, you've invested a lot, and it just hasn't come to anything. You've been pouring money into your projects, and, and they're just not working. Says so the reason is God's house is in shambles, and, and you're saying it's not time to fix it. So again, there's a community effect by people holding. Now you're going, oh, that's all Old Testament stuff. This is pretty powerful, too. First disciplinary action of the New Testament church was what? Ananias and Sapphira. What had taken place? And they withheld from the Lord? Portion they said was his. Paul, uh, and uh, Peter tells them, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. But again, it, it has to do with goods and stealing from the Lord, so to speak. But it has significant impact. They die over it. So I'm looking at these things and I'm going, Achan's story is not that different from what we see through Scripture." So we best learn from it while we can. And this thievery of taking from the Lord, uh, that's not as small scale as what we think. That we best ask Him, what are you wanting and desiring? And respond to it, rather than just saying it's not a big deal. Just saying Okay, I have uh, one more event I want to walk through. Joshua chapter 8. They build an altar to the Lord on Mount Ebal. Mount Ebal was known as the Mount of Cursing. Mount Gerizim was known as the Mount of Blessing. The altar is built at the place where a curse needs to be removed. But what's intriguing about this setting is that the two mountains are are together. And apparently, I haven't been there, I've seen pictures. (laughs) There's a natural amphitheater where all of the people could gather and Joshua could speak and be heard. So they're, they're in essentially a stadium that acoustically works for his voice to go out, which is astounding to me. But in this, they, they make this altar to the Lord, and it, it has this picture of the curse being removed, but also they take the law and they write the curses and the blessings and say, this is a covenant that we have with the Lord. You want things to go to well? Live on this side of blessing. You want trouble? Embrace the curse side. Do these things, get you in trouble. Do these things, experience God's blessing. And it's laid out for them. And Joshua goes and reads the entire law for everyone, it says. Down to the smallest child. All the strangers living with them, they just say, this is very important to understand. So again, as we have... You know, we looked at the beginning of the book and Joshua's told, read this law every day. You get to this portion and they're they're reaffirming what they have in the Lord. Moses had told them, when you get to the land, you've got to do this. So they go, they build this altar, they make sacrifice, but they also say, this is the covenant that we're living with. This is the agreement that we have with the Lord. And so they're they're laying it out, and they're saying, when we live like this, we can expect this to happen. When we live in this, we can expect this. So it's our option, and you choose. And I find like when we are, now we walk and we say, well, we're under new covenant. Yes, it's true. We have the privilege of Jesus as our sacrifice But it never takes us away from that thing of listening for the voice of God and responding to Him as He speaks. It never divorces itself from God's Word. There's always this recognition that He has laid out for us life or death. We make the choice. We walk accordingly. Well, there's a few more stories I'm going to cover in the next week or two, but... uh, I wanted to recap that just because, it, because I like the stories. <laughs> and I, I love that book and just looking at it and realizing this, this unveils life for us if we'll embrace it. Lord, we thank you for your scripture. We ask that we will take these stories that are ours and let them breathe life we might understand your ways, that we might respond to your word, that we might acknowledge you are truly involved in everything we do. We rejoice in you this day. Amen.